Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. I am Matt, and I will be your host today. And we have an all-star cast with us today, including Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello. And Harvard. Hello. And we have Matt in theory, but Matt is currently suffering from what shall we call it? We shall call it technology issues. So hopefully he'll jump in later on down the track if he can get those sorted. But we also have a special guest on today. We have Jay of JRPG. That's the name of your YouTube channel, isn't it? You just call it JRPG, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, it's uh, sufficiently punny. <laughs> so, yes, uh, if you didn't know, uh, Jay likes his JRPGs. And um, just a little bit. <laughs> We've got a lot of them to talk about this month, so we figured we would have the expert on to let us all know what's what. Uh, okay, so we're going to go to some very pretty music from the ever-lovely Hatsune Miku, and we will come back after that and talk about the many, many games that are coming out in June to look forward to. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so like I said, there is a lot of stuff coming out next month. A lot, a lot, a massive lot, a huge amount. Uh, and we will just jump straight into it. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to get through them all in the course of this segment. So we'll start with the PlayStation 5 on June 1, which will probably have already passed by the time this recording goes live. We'll be close to anyway. On June 1, we have Stonefly come out. I don't know what that is, but it has a pretty little art there. And also Operation Tango and also Necromunda Hired Gun. So that's three games to look forward to on June 1. But that's just really um, getting the month going. On June 8, the first game that's actually worth playing will come out. That's Guilty Gear Strive. Guilty Gear being an excellent fighting game series. I'm looking forward to seeing what Strive has to offer. Then on June 8 as well, we have 
Neptunia Reverse, which is hyper dimension Neptunia 1, which is a very old game at this point. But they've gone and remade it yet again. For yeah, it's the like the re-re-re-re-remake, I think. Yeah, that's it pretty much. It's the remake of the remake. Of the remake. Because the... didn't yeah, they already it. do like a re-release of the remake they did remade for Vita? I can't remember, to be honest. So I think this is like the remake of the re-release of the remake. Right. I do remember playing the original on the PlayStation 3 and it was not very good. I remember playing the remake or a remake on the Vita and it was very good. Um, yeah, it was good because they actually fixed the combat up. Yeah, exactly. They, they made it work. And yeah, this one I assume will have much prettier, prettier graphics. So, so, uh, so uh, what, Ray, Trace, Ray Trace Neptunia would be pretty good. Uh, and and uh, apparently you can also, there's an awful lot of characters that you can add in to your party that weren't available in the previous one. There's like 27 characters or something. So it's going to be a celebration of the Neptunia universe, um, which is fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, June 10. Now, I know Jay is, uh, Jay and I disagree on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Let's put it that way. But... Um, for me, as somebody who enjoyed Final Fantasy VII Remake, Yuffie's chapter comes out on June 10, and I am so looking forward to that. I do like Yuffie. I like Yuffie a lot. Yeah, um, but I might actually like that bit. Okay, that's Because it, it's like worthwhile content to add to Midgar <laughs> instead of just making the train graveyard five hours long. Yeah, there you go. See, we, we disagree on uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake a little bit, but Yuffie is great. It's such a pretty character model. Um, anyway, moving on. Ratchet and Clank, A Rift Apart, comes out on June 11. Um, yeah, that's Sony's thing for this month. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> I think people are looking forward to it anyway. So there's that. Then we don't have too much on for the middle part of June, for the PlayStation 5 anyway. Uh, June 22nd is the next big thing, Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance. Now I have big concerns with that one, but if it is good then it could be very very good it is featuring one of my favorite dungeon dragons characters in drizzed doerden and yeah i'm hoping it's good i'm not holding my breath but i'll give it a go anyway who's, On, who's developing that uh it's some studio that i can't remember the names of them but wizards of the coast is in the company that owns the pen and paper J, uh, rpg um bought this studio to make Dungeons and dragons games and this is their and first then, one, yeah. Right, yeah. But, yeah, I have my concerns with it, but who knows? It might turn out to be good. I'm certainly open to that, and if it is, then great. I'll be very happy indeed. Uh, on June 25, Scarlet Nexus comes out, which I know that you've played a little bit of, Jay. You previewed it, and it's, it's good. It's so good. There I go. can't wait. I haven't stopped <laughs> thinking about it. There you go. Uh, I missed, uh, unfortunately I wasn't available to get the, the preview done, but I am looking forward to playing it anyway. Bandai Namco knows how to make their JRPGs, and that one does look good. And then at the end of the month, uh, Western RPG, which is actually very worthwhile, it's called Greedfall. That was released on the PlayStation 4. There's a PlayStation 5 edition coming out on June 30th, and you should definitely look forward to that one, uh, if you ask me, because... That was very B-grade. It is by Spiders, which specializes in making B-grade RPGs. But it was um, it was very smart, and it was very... It, it's a very good game. So, yeah. It's one of the few games that both Matt and Adeline like at the same time. 
Yeah, yeah, it was one of those rare games that Alan, who's not here with us this week, unfortunately, to talk it up. But uh, yeah, Alan and I both like that one for different reasons, but we both like it, which is the main thing. And I've uh, it, which is also good. Oh, you did? Yes, that's and right. And I reviewed too. it, didn't I? Yeah, you did review it, and you actually recommended it to me, and I was like, yeah, I don't have the time. But then I picked it up on a whim um, much later on, and I was like, like yeah, this is, is great. RT for me. I don't understand any of this. This is a Matt <laughs> game. Matt, play this game. And you're like, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was one that you did recommend to me, Trent. Um, over on the PlayStation 4, there's quite a lot of other stuff. So Virtua Fighter 5 Ultimate Showdown comes out. That's the that's Virtua Fighter's back, which is nice. And the Yakuza Studio is actually the one developing it, which will work, I think. They know how to make combat work. Um, Your Virtua Fighter is in, like, every Yakuza game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but this is actually... They've, they've actually yeah, like, proper. Made, yeah. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that works, but I'm certainly glad that uh, Virtua Fighter's back. Uh, Astalon Tears of the Earth. Why do I know that name? That comes out on June 3, anyway. I I feel like I know it for a reason, and that's why it's sticking out to me on this list. Um, If you like your cycling, Tour de France comes out on June 3, which is one of those weird series that I actually really look forward to every year (laughs) since playing one. I don't know why I get hooked on those, but I do. So, yeah, that comes out this month. What else we got? We're moving through an awful lot of stuff that I just don't want to talk about. Uh, Chivalry 2 comes out on June 8, if you like your multiplayer sword and ups. Ah, here's one that's worth talking about. Ninja Gaiden Master Collection comes out on June 10. That being Ninja Gaiden 1, 2, and 3. You can enjoy them all in one pack. That's a lot of bloodletting. A lot of bloodletting in one one box. Yes, the yes. 3D ones. Yes, so they were re. I mean, these are the remakes for the Vita that have been polished up for the kind of modern console. And actually, they were released on the PlayStation 3 too, weren't they? I think they all were. So yeah, they're they're good games. They're tough. You're gonna have to work to get through them all, but they're good. Um, June 22 brings the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020 which <laughs> it released like two years ago in Japan. Um, they preempted the Olympics over there and then things happened and the Olympics didn't happen. Um, but the, the Olympic Games game is actually coming out and for whatever reason, they haven't retitled it to 2021. So Was well, it officially called 2021 as the Olympics in general or is it still the 2020 games in Japan in 2020? I have no idea, but I'm pretty I'm sure. I'm pretty it sure it stays as 2020. They did that with the Tales of Festival as well, because the 2020 Tales of Festival, which still had all the 2020 branding, happened in like February this year. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. They've paid for all that branding. <laughs> They're not going to go and rebrand it all with them to, to add an extra one to it. So, yeah. Anyway, when you play it, remember that the Olympic Games are actually on this year, not last. Um,. Legend of Mana Remastered comes out on June 24. That'll be fun. I like Legend of Mana. It looks cute. The uh, the graphics in this remaster look very lovely. So there you go. If you like your action JRPGs, then you can look forward to that. Scarlet Nexus also comes out on PlayStation 4 if you haven't upgraded your console or haven't been able to because PlayStation 5s don't exist. Um, and then we've got some game. Here's a name that's going to... Me. The Dungeon of Nahulbuk. Nahulbuk. The Amulet of Chaos. I think that's going to be an RPG, a Western one. And it comes out on June 29. 
And that's it for the PlayStation 4. Moving on to the Nintendo Switch. This is a lot. This is a lot. All right. So on June 2, today's every day today's menu for the Amelia family. Now, I am so looking forward to this. This is the video game tie into the anime spin-off of Fate. And rather than being all about, you know, superheroes from history killing one another as in in Fate, this one's just about cooking. It's a very lovely, very charming, very beautiful anime. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the video game. It's going to be good. As a Fate fan, on just scrolling through there's just so much shovelware i mean if you're into into free cell free cell solitaire collection comes out on june 3 so the switch has really what? got a problem with collection letting... yeah collection <laughs> it's like 10 10 free cell games in one i only knew there was one of them but there you go there's apparently 10 of them um yeah the switch has really got to get control of this shovelware problem uh i'm still scrolling and we're still at june 4 Donuts and Justice, come, Justice comes out on June 4. That's just a what? good name. I don't know what that is, but it's a good name. Donuts and Justice. <laughs> Anything of a good name is popping up now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Umuragi Rangi Generation comes out on Switch on June 5, so I'm going to finally play that. I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Finally. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that a lot. I'm going to play it on Switch. Ninja Gaiden Master Collection does come out on Switch as well, June 10. Um it's probably not going to look as pretty as on the PlayStation 4, but it will be portable, so you can do your bloodletting on the go. Ah, here we go. Nintendo's got one coming out on June 11. Game Builder Garage, which is their kind of entry-level game programming logic thing for... Well, it's designed to help kids get their minds around how game programming works, but everybody can enjoy it, and it is a new thing for Nintendo, so it looks really good. It looks very charming. Um, or the cutting room floor of the Labo project. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be very inspiring. Nintendo does do that kind of thing pretty well. So, yeah. Um, here's one that if Matt was around, he'd be interested in, I think. Um, but he was still working out his technology issues, I think. Bakumatsu Renka Shinsengumi. That's a visual novel about the Shinsengumi, which is not Hakuoki. <laughs> so Hakuoki is the one that everybody knows as a very good visual novel about the Shinsengumi. This one is a D3 publisher one, so slightly less production values, but it'll be translated properly, which is more than what a lot of visual novels on the Switch end up <laughs> with. And yeah, I, I do like the story of the Shinsengumi, so I'm looking forward to that. Moving on, um, Legend of Mana Remastered does come out on Switch as well, June 24. Mario Golf Super Rush comes out on Switch on June 25, and I am looking forward to that a great deal. I haven't enjoyed a Mario Golf game as much as I would like to for a while, but I still have very fond memories of the Game Boy one and the N64 one and the GameCube one. They were all excellent. So if they can just capture that magic again, that would be wonderful. June 29, we've got Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny, which is a Switch exclusive for now at least, which is amazing. Um, you'd think that Nipponichi would want to put that on absolutely everything to try and sell it, but there you go. You'll be able to play it exclusively on Switch. That's so a new you, game, right? It is a new game. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is first, a new... um, first full 3D one, too. Oh, there you go. I haven't actually seen any screenshots of it. <laughs> I 
Yeah, Thank it you. looks really good, but apparently, like, the Switch performance leaves some room, uh, something to be desired anyway. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> Why does that not surprise me at all? But yeah, well, because anyway. I think it came out in Japan already, and it came out on the PS4 as well, I think. Ah, oh, I see. So it's only Switch in the West, but over there it was also PS4. Anyway, it is a turn-based thing, so performance will probably be something you can work through. Um, yeah. And as long it as it's got that, playable. yeah, yeah. As long as it's got that sense of humor, then great. And that's basically it. I'm probably missed some stuff, but I'm bored reading off this list. I so, for us, technically, like Oceana World's End Club comes out on June 4th, but it's out now already. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, everyone else. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do. I am. I have got a copy of that. I'm playing through for review now. So, um, yeah, that does come out. A little bit later for us but anyway moving moving to the picks of the month we'll start with uj um, well, let me guess scarlet <laughs> scarlet nexus is yeah your pick scarlet of the nexus month. yeah of there course you go. there's no there's no other choice like <laughs> people can have their ratchet and clanks and everything else but scarlet nexus blew me away i have at the preview i just couldn't believe it and looking into it more the director is uh kenji anabuki who's worked on Tales since Symphonia. He he was the battle designer for Tales of Exilia and the director of Exilia 2, and now he's doing Scarlet Nexus. It's it's amazing. Cool, yep. Well, um, like I said, I, I, unfortunately I missed playing it, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, the demo is up now show. on PlayStation and Xbox. Oh, cool, all right. Um, Trent, Trent, you get to pick one. You know what, I'm going to probably go and play Scarlet Nexus 2. I remember that being good when it was reviewed. Or I could be boring and I could end up playing like one of the many other games. <laughs> yes, there are very many other games. <laughs> this is this is a tough month to pick one. Um, Harvard. I'm really in the mood for Shovelware this month. I don't know why. But I'm probably going to go on Switch and do my patented, this game has an interesting title, I'm going to buy it. So let's just say Donuts and Justice. I'm going to play Donuts and Justice. <laughs> Donuts and Justice. Yes, yeah, 2D side-scrolling shooter map. That's the kind of thing you'd probably enjoy anyway. Yeah, play good. a few of those, yeah. I like Donuts, I like Justice. <laughs> um, for me, I'm going to go with... Well, Alan's not here to roll his eyes at me, so I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go with Neptunia Reverse. I do like Neptunia. Fan service and all, and I'm certainly looking forward to fan service on the PlayStation 5. Is it worth playing again, again, again? I don't know. If it's Ray Trace Neptunia, why not? <laughs> you've got to remember the technology... Characters. It's like 27 <laughs> characters. Come on. You, you, you've got to remember that this technology brings new opportunities, Harvard. Have they new added game... new characters for the new consoles? Because that's the whole conceit, right? No, no, because the char- the 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 characters are more like company down company lines than individual consoles. Oh, it's not oh. like it's not like the the Neptunia is like a PlayStation Three. She's just PlayStation. I mean, she's not PlayStation. That would be noir. Um, yeah, it, it's not like the the what's her name? Vert. That's not the original model Xbox. She's just Xbox in general. I didn't figure that. Well, you obviously haven't played enough of these. <laughs> you have. 
you have a job to do now. You're going to have to go and get your fan service on and play all of these Neptunia games mm. to admire them for the art. Doesn't give me as much excitement as Donuts from Justice. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and on that note, let's go to some music. Um, what are we going to listen to? Let's listen to... Let's listen to something from... Well, I was going to say Neptunia, but that music's terrible to listen to. Um, I mean, I love those games, but l let's be honest. They're, yeah, they're, you, you're not going to go out and buy the CDs for them. Um, Ooh, yeah. the it's, not, it's not their strong things, suit. But... Yeah, that's right. The music's not exactly their strong suit. Uh, it works in the context of the ridiculousness of the games, but yeah, outside of it, it's not. Let's go with Final Fantasy VII Remake music, because that was good music, and... Yuffie's coming out, so we'll go with that. Yeah, have you heard that battle theme? It's like death metal. Like uh, that, that's that's like one thing. I think that's like one special kind of scene. Yeah, like one fight where you're like attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has all kinds of other stuff. It's got like this J-pop, you know, um, light bubbly idol music for another section, which is pretty cool. I love it. Um so, yeah, yeah, I think the Yuffie thing's going to have an awful lot of really interesting music. So, yes, Final Fantasy VII Remake. We're going to go with the music that was played, if I can find it. We'll go with the music that was played during that dance scene in the game. That's awesome.
Welcome back, everybody. Right, so now that we've finished going through the games of ne next month, let's talk about stuff, stuff that's interesting. So last week, as we record this, there was um, there were a lot of announcements made, and one of the big announcements was the um, the Dragon Quest stuff. There's a lot of Dragon Quest things happening. Square Enix decided to really showcase what was coming up for that series. Uh, for me, the really exciting one, and I think we can all probably agree on that, is the remake of Dragon Quest III using the Octopath Traveler engine. That's pretty cool, right? That's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, it looks yes. really good. Yeah, there we go. We everything can all agree on Everything that should be made in that style. Yeah, that's right. Every single old uh, game should be remade in that style. It looks gorgeous. It looks amazing. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much traction it gets because Dragon Quest 3, as good as it is, is an, is an NES era JRPG, which comes with certain limitations in terms of storytelling and stuff. But, but I wonder if they'll actually improve that with the remake. Like, are they just going to do the graphics or are they going to like really go hard on it? Yeah, it's like a Final Fantasy 3 situation, right? Well, they didn't actually update the narrative for Final Fantasy 3. They no, they did. The... They gave, like, the characters' names and motivations and stuff. Didn't they always have names? I feel like they didn't. Final Fantasy 3 was the Onion Knight game, and then on the DS they made it 3D and gave everyone characters. Did they? Yes. The original, okay. They didn't have names, they were just... Yeah. Choose. Oh, I, I Final should, Fantasy One. You just choose your jobs. And go for it. I, I should I should mention Matt's back. <laughs> we, Matt's um, Matt's Hi. mic is not the the clearest this week, um, but we can hear him good and clear enough anyway. But yeah, he's he's managed to make something work. So thanks for joining us, Matt. You're uh, welcome. Um, Dragon <laughs> Quest Three is very good, and I think an underrated as far as Dragon Quest games go. The the story in the original one is. I mean, I guess it's kind of minimalist by today's standards, but I, it's really good and really interesting. And I think even within the constraints of the time, they did some really cool stuff with it. So I'd hate, I would actually hate to see that be updated too much. Um, I feel, Matt, I feel like a point of comparison would be if they went, went and remade Final Fantasy 1 um, and rewrote a whole new story for it and turned it into ff7 remake i feel like that probably wouldn't go down well with you yeah i mean what they could do i guess with final fantasy one is get koei tecmo to make a neo version of it <laughs> <laughs> um, call it what final fantasy origin or something like that yes 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 uh as the rumor yeah, no, that sounds like a good idea it's probably going to be confirmed by the time this podcast goes live but yeah um yeah i i, I mean the thing i remember most about dragon quest 3 was that it flowed really nicely so it has a minimalist narrative but it just moves beautifully through the game so yeah i mean well as uh, long as they don't make like sweeping changes and they just because i imagine the reason a lot of stories back then were minimalist because they were essentially like working on a text to limit otherwise they'd run out of space so like they could just add more what if they like remake the game and they're remaking the game in the sense that they're going to use it to adjust narrative elements to then say okay well the next uh, mainline game is going to be timeline right after this or something like that so it's placed after that if that makes they sense kind of did that i feel like they'll do dragon quest um builders 3 and then remake the uh story that way 
So using the story, wait. So builders free concept, and then building what? No, no. Did you did you play um builders one and builders two? I don't the original. Oh, you know, yeah. you know how that that game story was like a weird remix of the original Dragon Quest story. Yeah, I would like to see them do more creative things with that. Maybe not with this particular remake, but go for those stories that they've already told in the past and look at them from weird angles like the Builders games did. That would be pretty cool. Maybe they should do a tactics game. You do a tactics game with a nice snow uh, snow series. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you so? <laughs> so just quickly to move on, we will talk about whether we. I mean, what opportunities there might be for Dragon Quest going forward as well. But I uh, I mean, I think the, the main one we wanted to talk about in this section is Dragon Quest Twelve, which was a huge announcement, and they didn't show off anything other than a trailer, a teaser trailer. They didn't show off anything in the game. But they did promise that it is going to be a dark and brooding... No, sorry, dark and mature for, uh, Dragon Quest. and Dragon Quest for adults, Matt. Yeah, Dragon Quest for adults, more like Dragon Quest for Westerners that didn't get that Dragon Quest was always for adults. Um, it's a Dragon Quest for stupid people. Um, but, yeah, I have issues with it, and my issues are very loud and vocal. So I'm going to let other people talk about their issues with, with it. I don't think that Dragon Quest is for mature... If I don't think that Dragon Quest works with the kind of uh, the the kind of dark aesthetic that they seem to be promising with this thing so off you go let me know what you think about that <laughs> well i think it's just basically that the marketing team has been like oh well souls is popular let's do something with like a souls like aesthetic we've got an rpg and instead of making like a new ip they're just like bam dragon quest that's easily what they've done <laughs> i'm a little bit optimistic about it because Dragon Quest XI did amazing, right? Like, everybody loved that game everywhere. So maybe they're just taking it in, in whatever new direction they can think about, rather than doing the more safe thing, which is just make Dragon Quest XI again. It'd be interesting to see if it actually, like, while it looks dark and broody, well, it is going to be dark and broody, but, like, if it's, like, not what people assume it's going to be like it's not going to be like a dark souls game or it's not going to be like you know something really heavy and mature but it's still something crazy and you know like how you know octopath traveler like that's pretty dark and you know it's still you know a 2d rpg sort of thing and still pretty colorful like maybe that's fair octopath is really dark actually for story's sake yeah, maybe there's like a twist there, or maybe it's like a completely different thing. Like when I saw it, maybe I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's gonna be like Hobbit, like a like the Hobbit new Hobbit games. Um, maybe it's gonna be like the Middle Earth games in that sort of style, or have dry, giant dragons, and <laughs> like I thought maybe there could be some sort of angle there rather than just instinctively going to a Soul style game. Yeah, I I don't know. I still. I know that Matt Matt's gonna like lay into this game when he has, when we let him, so I have to be positive when I can. But I'm still pretty excited. I feel like if they make a Dragon Quest game in that kind of style, I don't see the developers just throwing so much legacy out the window and just saying, Okay, we're making a Western fantasy with dragons in it. I feel like there's they've got to maintain some of the series at Nerny, and it might be really interesting actually to see how they do the the darkness 
with all the things that people come to expect from Dragon Quest. Yeah, I mean that's that's the like the train of thought that I'm on is that it's mostly not going to be what everybody's worst uh, first thought is. Like you know, like a Dragon Quest for adults, and everyone's like, "Oh God, it's going to be like I don't know, it's just going to be some garbage Western RPG with like R rated, and everyone's going to be swearing constantly." But then it's just going to come up, and it's just going to basically be like <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. Current Dragon Quest is like Dragon Ball, and I bet this new one's going to be like Dragon Ball Z. So it's for like fourteen-year-olds instead of twelve-year-olds. <laughs> Like, I'm just going to laugh when the first thing they show off and it's just like, it's pure Dragon Quest, but just like, just a little bit edgier. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, though, the idea of a Dragon Quest game, but everyone's swearing at each other is hilarious and it will buy like all the slimes. Like, just every time you run into an edit, like <laughs> anything, it's like, this, fuck. This, this time, the, the tutorial <laughs> battle will be a group of three slimes, but they all have scars over their eyes. <laughs> We should just make this game. They should they should let us make this game. Just be like, you have to make Dragon Quest, and it has to be dark and edgy, and just have fun with it. Like that would be amazing. Don't even make yeah. it like an RPG. Like just well, make it an RPG, but like not in the sense of what Dragon Quest is. Make it a Yakuza game. Make it like oh, there's a dark, broody slime. It's gonna come and kill me because I'm like you know secretly dating some ex-wife's person, and they're part of a Yakuza for the Dragon Quest or Kingdom, and they're gonna murder me or something. And I don't know. Like make it like that. Yeah. Well, they're, Dragon Quest really is already like it. halfway to Yakuza, right? Because there are there are like gambling and casinos, and you can go and get uh, puff puff. Like, yeah. they could just make that more visual. They, they already made that. It's called Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yeah. I still love that joke, Like a Dragon Quest. But I also really like that whole fake RPG thing they've been doing recently. Like, I see strains of it in Dragon Quest Eleven as well, just with the moving around and pretending like it's a big epic quest with a lot of action in it, and then it's not. I wonder if that they're going to keep going with that with uh, 12 or if they're gonna like actually move away from the jrpg roots no i don't i don't think it's going to be nearly as different as people think like you know when uh uh hori said they're changing the command battle and like everyone was like oh my god it's gonna be like final fantasy 15 garbage <laughs> it's like well no he just he just said they're gonna be changing it up and like that he specifically didn't say anything about action but that's like immediately everybody goes like oh it's going to be a crappy action rpg and it's like no nah. i mean it could mean anything by that it could still just be turn-based they could just add in like positioning like it's the trail series or something hmm. i don't know i feel like the the main thing i like about dragon quest con combat and i said content and i don't know if this is a very popular decision but I like that it's very simple combat in that it's not the main point of the game. So the combat is there so you don't just blast through all the towns and finish it too quickly. The combat gives texture to where you are, but it's not something that requires you to micromanage every decision that you make in every turn. I don't know, is that the same vibe you guys get when you play it? Yeah, I, th I feel like it's just very traditional and yeah, not the focus um as you say like it's just sort of there to string things together so but i mean yeah you, you can change that up and you can add little extra mechanics and give it some new flavor without completely ruining it i, I don't as i said I, I don't think it's going to be like nearly as different as as what everybody's first thoughts are 
at the moment. Yeah. The, the one real curious thing for me, though, is, Jay, do you have any thoughts on why they've suddenly decided to do this now? I, I mean, I have no idea. I guess, like, I, Dragon Quest Eleven wasn't really that... Like, it wasn't really that not for adults. I guess, as Matt said much, much earlier, you know, Dragon Quest has always been for adults. But, like, Dragon Quest Eleven gets pretty dark after the first major, you know, first couple of major acts. So, I don't know, maybe they just thought that did well. Let's just hammer home that part of it. Or maybe Luigi oh, Hori's just... Agree with me. Be cynical. Say it. Say it's because the marketing saw Souls one Souls to Souls on their RPG. Yeah, I mean, pro- that, honestly, that's over. probably also there as well because everybody there are too many Souls likes. When that Final Fantasy Origin thing was like, oh yeah, it's going to be like a Souls like, but not a Souls like. I'm like, no, stop with the Souls like. <laughs> I, I feel like, like we're not going to have as much patience for them anymore because, and this may be controversial, but Souls games are kind of exhausting to play. Because there's there's challenge, but there's not that sense of energy. So I always feel like I'm going through this really laborious process. And it's really rewarding labor, but it is a bit tiring when Dragon Quest is meant to be this nice like relaxation thing, you know? I don't think it's gonna they're gonna make it a soul flick. But I think I mean I kind of to some extent agree with Transport. I think it's more that Dragon Quest Eleven did really well in the West, more so than any other game before it, and more than anyone expected. And so the cynical part of me is saying, "Oh, look, look at that success! We need to make something that's more going to be more appealing to Western audiences." And uh, I don't like that. <laughs> that's fair. Do you remember any other Dragon Quest game that did okay in the West? Because I know that they didn't release a bunch of them. <laughs> that still makes I... me mad. I think maybe I eight was like the most popular before yeah. eleven. Eight was the three DS one, right? It PS2. also came out on yeah, PS two. I think it was oh, also the, the yeah. first one to be officially released in Europe. Um which probably helped. Yeah. I don't know. It it's always had this weird position because I feel like a lot of the other JRPG series are more well-known in the West because they got to the West earlier, whereas Dragon Quest did Dragon Warrior on NES and then went dormant for a little while. So while in Japan it's the the premiere and the classic series, it hasn't really established that attitude in the West to anyone who's not us who hasn't played all the JRPGs. So do you think this is like them trying to establish their identity as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, the, especially with the way that because Dragon Quest, I say like Dragon Warrior, and they had a bunch of Dragon Warrior games to come out in the US, but Dragon Quest didn't come out like at all in Europe and Australia for a long time. So like they really didn't tr- even try and grow a global audience. They just tried to get like a niche US audience and then just stayed in Japan for the most part. I think part of that was just all the translation issues, right? Yeah, they're pretty huge games. I think it's the same. I, I'm still surprised that we get like Trails of Cold Steel and all that stuff because it's, I think, what Exceed said that like the first Trails of Cold Steel was a million and a half words. 
and the second one was like just under two million and it's like i can't imagine the return like the profit they're making from these is is that high when they have to do like the world's largest localizations i feel like the spin-offs did well better in in like western areas does that make sense? Like monsters, I feel like all the Dragon Quest monster games, like stuff like Joker on the DS, like I, I vividly picture them being like big and people knowing what they are. And then also, you know, Dragon Quest build, uh, builders, you know, I, I think that's probably, you know, people probably know or recognize that as a spin off series pretty well, especially if it's, you know, up to like, you know, two. Like, you know, it's possible that they're doing better than the main series, are they? Or not really? Well, yeah, Dragon Quest Monsters Joker actually did amazingly well and sold more than a bunch of the mainline entries. Really? <laughs> yeah, I think game. the first Dragon Quest Monsters Joker uh, was like, I, I think a million and a half units sold. And, you know, like some of the other Dragon Quest games, I think Dragon Quest V was like just over a million and Dragon Quest Four was maybe twelve, like one point two mil or something like that. That bothers me because Dragon Quest Joker was terrible. Such a bad game, very bad game. Well, I mean, it's the, you know, it's the cute, cute characters plus Pokemon style play. That's always going to go down well. It's always. Just, just use your monsters, and they go back to level one. So grind them up to a good level again, so you can fuse them again, so they go back to level one. Like, ah, oh, it's so much waste of time. Yeah, there but... was three of them. They had to have sold well. They had to have worked well. <laughs> It'd be nice if they should do that. Uh, yeah, well, there we go. I, I got the sales figures, and they didn't disclose the sales for Joker 2 or Joker 3, but Joker 1 did sell a million and a half units. There you go. The Pokemon effect <laughs> makes everything sell. All right, so um, that's a that's a good robust conversation. Nobody let me have my my own words in there. That's all right. You don't want to hear my my opinions about some of this Dragon Quest stuff. We'll go to a break. <laughs> yes, I rant on Twitter often enough. We'll go to a break and come back with something um, another another JRPG themed chat. I guess we'll continue leveraging Jay's expertise in in JRPGs. Um, we'll we'll have some Dragon Quest music. That makes sense, right? Uh, and yeah, we'll be back soon.
welcome back everybody okay so by the time you're listening to this podcast e3 is pretty damn close and that is always a good time i mean the the whole dragon quest thing last week was just square enix getting ahead of e3 and making their announcements before the 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 big event starts uh and they weren't the only ones uh sega was also out there making big announcements uh last week as well big There's announcements already, yeah well, sonic colors now isn't, now isn't there a plush toy there's a plush toy come on awesome now now you hear sonic co- colors but i'm thinking you know virtua fighter that was a pretty big announcement you have to admit. yeah yeah no nah, fair enough <laughs> um but yeah it, it is definitely hype season we're going to hear, hear about a whole lot of stuff uh, the rumor mill is already overworking it hasn't been confirmed as we talk on this podcast but we all know that nintendo is going to do a nintendo switch thing uh, a Nintendo Switch Pro. I still think it should be called the Nintendo Switcheroo, but I don't think Nintendo of Australia is going to be able to get input into the name of it, but I do think Switcheroo would be an awesome name for it. Um, Super but, Nintendo Switch. <laughs> Super Nintendo Switch. Only if they make it kind of grey that fades to yellow as you use it. because that the would... new Super Nintendo Switch 64 Cube SP Advanced Light I. Don't no, put the, it past the light ones next year to replace the <laughs> Don't put it past Nintendo to actually call it that. Anyway, it should be pretty exciting. I mean, the, the rumors are that it'll be um, a 4K thing when docked, which would be good. Yeah, uh, using Nvidia DLSS. It should be good. I'm yeah. looking forward to it because I'm what pretty if... sure that a lot of games, you know, that you think, oh, like, why isn't that coming to the Switch? And I'm pretty sure it's going to be like, as soon as they announce the Switch Pro, oh, hey, this game's coming to the Switch Pro. Yeah, I think what it is, is it's Nintendo bringing the Switch up to the minimum it needed to, to continue getting, you know, ports and versions of the stuff going on to the other consoles. I still think it will be relatively modest compared to what the PlayStation 5 and Xbox can do, of course, but it will give the developers the ability to relatively easily optimize the game for a Switch release as well, which is what Nintendo needed to do, because you look at stuff like Scarlet Nexus, for example, that's just not going on the base model Switch. Um, and yeah, that, that, and, that yeah, and like things like Tales of Arise, that's yeah. Tales of Arise is UE4, but it's just too much to handle on the regular Switch, so exactly, yeah. So, well, that's that, what the rumors have been for a while, like, unless Nintendo is like secretly doing something and going to reveal something drastic, like, the rumors have been for at least a year that it's going to be a minimum upgrade. You know, 4K while docked has the surface-like stand, so it's like a improved stand over the little flicky thing which keeps falling off, especially if you have children and then you lose it and then you're dead inside. Um, the same sort of style screen, like it's only just mi- minor improvement, but it's going to be an OLED. Like all of them are just well, like minor. OLED is not exactly a minor improvement. That's a well in terms of resolution, like it's still like a 720p. Yeah, it's still 720p. Yeah, but OLED is just, I mean, it, the the screen quality is another level entirely. So all those lovely aesthetics that um, are much more important than polygon pushing, that's uh, that, that's going to look much better on the Switch. So that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to whatever it is going to look like. Uh, and I look forward to Koei Tecmo announcing Dead or Alive 6 for the Switch because that's what's going to happen. That's my That's my guess. And that'll be is good. that series yeah. officially gone, or have they? Are you just hoping on it? Well, I mean, Koei Tecmo is not going to get rid of Dead or Alive. Even the even Dead or Alive Six, which didn't sell you know as well as they probably wanted it to, 
it's too important of a franchise for them to give up on. Not just for the, the game itself, but for the, the money spinning that they get out of it, out of merchandise and stuff, because people buy a lot of Dead or Alive merchandise. For By people? Do you mean you? By people. <laughs> I do mean you. You should, see, you should see the amount of Mary Rose stuff I've got all over my house now. It's, it's ridiculous. Single-handedly keeping the franchise alive. My my home my home aesthetic is a combination of Hatsune Miku and Murray Rose. There's twin tails everywhere in my home. Um, but yeah, going back to the Switch, that it, it should be good. And I, I think I mean that was just an intro for this section. What I wanted to talk about was I guess uh, the JRPG uh, as a genre and what we might expect to see from it because. Traditionally, at the start of a new console generation, as we are having now, that is when the experimentation tends to happen in terms of game development and new new ideas and stuff. We have seen one with Scarlet Nexus. There is the rumor that there's going to be a Final Fantasy game developed by Team Ninja, which will be like in, in the Neo mold, which I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, the, 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 we could probably expect to see more of Final Fantasy 16 as well, but I'm more interested, I guess, in, in hearing what you all think about what surprises we might see from the JRPG genre. I mean, do you think the genre is in a good spot and we're going to get a lot of surprises? I think it's a lot better than it was 10 years ago when everyone was saying the JRPG is dead. Uh, I think it, we come to expect JRPGs when they announce new games, which is it's just a nice feeling. Uh, but I'm pretty excited for, I don't know if they'll show more of Triangle Strategy, but I'm excited for that idea of more complex and more intensive games now that people are more accustomed to that kind of design style. Yeah, that was a pretty good little demo. <laughs> I quite like Triangle Strategy. That was um, very Final Fantasy Tactics. Yes, it just needs a good snowball scene at the start. <laughs> Damn it. I open. I open the door to that one. Oh, I could have it in a forest. It could be like jungle themed. You know, they go out into the forest area and they like decide to throw giant mud balls at people Where's instead. The mute Where's the mute button? <laughs> Where's the mute button before trend starts? They could be um, those um, those giant mud polished balls which um, which are made. They could be making them and they could be throwing at each other and it could be like a cute little you know introduction that you know. Everyone's been bullied, but they're like, you know, defending each other with mud balls. It's going to be great. I would like to see <laughs> Tactics Advance back as a remix somehow. Yeah, There's a lot Square, of games Square that were really is... good from the Game Boy era that are gone. Square Enix ain't doing that. <laughs> in in, in <laughs> the um, same engine as well um, as um, Octopath. That'll be great. No, as far as I, I guarantee you, as far as Square Enix is concerned, the the tactics one that they're doing now, the triangle one, Project Triangle. That's it. That's all they're they that's about. the closest they get. I yeah, think they have it. they have like an allergy or something to everything Final Fantasy that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go, dude! Final it's Fantasy like, sixteen looks awesome. Yeah, looks I know awesome. that that looks <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so like Final Fantasy fourteen and sixteen, awesome. But it's like. I don't know what they've done to the what's it, I can never remember his name. Final Fantasy IX's director. I think that uh, Hiroyuki Ito. I think they've just got him locked away in a cupboard somewhere because, like, <laughs> the dude has like this amazing track record, and he, they haven't had him do anything. And then they had like the 
I think the Final Fantasy 9 and 12 dev interviews, and they were like, oh, yeah, this week we're interviewing the music guys. And they had, like, a whole blog post. And it's like, oh, now the director, Hiroyuki Ito, and he had one sentence. <laughs> like, what What are you guys doing to this guy? Just imagining, well, like, a big poster on the wall with his face on it that says, do not let this man make a game. In fairness, I do think Final Fantasy is in a better place now. Um Oh, it's better than the. I know, I know. You have your issues with Final Fantasy VII remake, but I genuinely think that that was a exactly what they needed to do to to take that game and um, remake it. Um, and then Final Fantasy sixteen looks like it's going to be a different thing, substantially different. They've got the right director for it. Uh, it's the last remnant guy. And yeah, the right director, the right the producer, last, yeah, the right exactly. composer. It's all there. It's going to be. Yeah. Good. I'm no, excited I, I, for Final Fantasy sixteen more than anything. Final Fantasy in a long time. So it's I think very different to Final Fantasy 15. That that game felt like the Hail Mary pass, right? That game felt like the if it doesn't do well, this is this series is dead. No, Whereas... Final Fantasy 15 was cobbled together out of a whole lot of stuff. It was a very troubled development project, obviously. So, and you could see the way the DLC and all that stuff worked for it afterwards as well. It was just, it was a project they ended up pushing out because it, they'd spent too much on it to to not release a product out of it. But it was clearly a it was clearly a, tr- a, a troubled child for them. Um, I think it had merits, and I actually like the idea of, you know, um, four dudes cruising around, um, the kind of road trip Final Fantasy. I, I like that idea. Final uh, Fantasy hangover. For me, all they needed to do was give Iris a chapter, and I would have been very happy. I like Iris. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't she mind so Final Fantasy fifteen that much as in to play. Like, I thought it was a decent... Like, I, I think I played it for around 90 hours. Like, I finished it. And I wouldn't play a game for that long if I hated it. But, like, the longer I sit on it, I'm like, I like I hope that they don't just go down that path. It doesn't look like they are, but I'm like, I don't... Like, I really don't want this... I don't want this, like, realism and boring character designs and just... I don't want that. It's Final Fantasy. Well, I mean, the good thing is that. Fantasy. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the good the good thing is that that's obviously not the case with Final Fantasy sixteen. They've, exactly. they've gone back to a very. Uh, it looks like it's kind of swords and sorcery fantasy. Like it looks like they've gone back right back to the earlier kind of um, era yeah, of Final looks Fantasy, like, which looks is like great. Crystals are going to be back, like yeah. crystals and and so, the big summons. It looks good. And that's why I think it works well with Final Fantasy seven remake because that one's a hyper modern kind of Final Fantasy. So you get both tracks um and then there'll be people who are fans of one and not the other and that's fine and i think that square enix is comfortable with that these days that not everybody's going to like every final fantasy which is good i'm hoping we get that's a final how fantasy it always was right that's how it always should be you know it, it changed every single entry but it was just like before we used to get an entry like once a year and now we get an entry like once every eight years yeah, exactly. So the the hype behind them or the expectations behind them are much higher, and then the people who do get disappointed by what they get get very disappointed indeed. But I think by having those kind of dual tracks of Final Fantasy VII being released in episodes, and then Final Fantasy sixteen in development, Final Fantasy fourteen is kind of ongoing development as well, which is obviously very traditional Final Fantasy dressed up as an MMO. Um, I think and if that you count the side games right. like Bravely Default is your. SNS yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's and that's the other thing. Um, they, they've been a very, they've done a very good job of kind of making Final Fantasy games in everything but name. So, Bravely Default is a Final Fantasy game in pretty much every way. Uh, just it has a different name. So, um, and then there's that yeah, triangle game in development, which is Final Fantasy Tactics in every way but name. So, 
I think Square Enix has done a good job in terms of managing the JRPG genre as kind of the head developer or the head kind of company behind it. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what they come up with at E3. Um, if if it is just the Team Ninja Final Fantasy Neo game, then I'm on board with it. Uh, I'm still hoping for a Final Fantasy 13 collection. <laughs> Put that on my Switch, please. That would be good. But yeah, uh, they they could definitely do with more collections. Like I yeah, Final Fantasy 13's got the bad rap, but I think if people gave it and gave it another shot. But it's just the fact of yeah, it hasn't wasn't hasn't really been marketed or put out there since. No, see, the, uh, I have I have this theory about Final Fantasy, and it's been around since Final Fantasy X. Every Final Fantasy game gets a better reputation over time since since Final Fantasy X, because I remember Final Fantasy X was pretty loudly criticised when it came out, and over time yeah. it's become a classic. Final Fantasy XII was absolutely hated. Yeah, everybody hated that game when it came out. Everybody. And now, with when they did the remaster, uh, everyone's like, well, this thing's pretty amazing. I think Final Fantasy is a, a similar thing. I actually, every time I bring it up in conversations now, people are like, actually, no, it wasn't bad. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I do think that that collection would be timely about now and it'll give people a chance to reassess what is actually a very good series of games. Yeah, like, it definitely has its problems, but in terms of... Like, if, if I wanted to play a game and have a setting and a world and characters and design and, like, the feel and stuff, I would much rather have something like Final Fantasy XIII than I would Final Fantasy XV. Yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy XIII like was in world so is many... incredibly creative, but they just they didn't quite execute it. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy XIII was in so many, so many ways the kind of the epitome of the Final Fantasy game. When you look at what people criticise about that series, it's linearity, but Final Fantasy's always been linear. It's just sometimes hidden it better than in Final Fantasy XIII. Um, but Final Fantasy XIII was all about the characters, and that's what people love about Final Fantasy. And it was always about the kind of the the presentational values of the series. It's always been top level kind of um, for what's been available at the time. And Final Fantasy XIII was gorgeous. So, yeah, it was, for me, it, it was exactly what I would have expected from a Final Fantasy game, and they delivered... But anyway, um, it wasn't just, it's not just about Square Enix. I mean, everyone talks about Square Enix. I guess for me, the thing that I'm looking forward to and the, what, what's been kind of good over the last year or so has been this emergence of that next level of JRPG, that B tier of JRPG. It's really come back very strongly. Um, Koei Techno has done some amazing things with the, the Gust Studio, turning Atelier into something that people recognize now. Um, and I know that Koei doesn't really do much with E3, but we'd have to be due for a new announcement around Atelier sometime soon. It's been like two months. I was going to say it's been like two months since they released one, so they, surely they'd have an announcement <laughs> for the next three. The next three within you know next week or so. Um, I mean, we could actually see uh, that new Blue Reflection game because that hasn't properly been announced for the West yet, has it? Uh, no, no, I it think actually it hasn't. Just I think it just got the Japanese announcement, so we could it's see been, something about that. It's been announced, but nothing's shown. It's basically just been a tweet saying, yes, we confirmed that this is coming to West as well. Ah, right. Uh, I mean, Matt, Matt is uh, Matt is ultimate Blue Reflection fan. <laughs> oh, I loved that I game. I do love that game. Yeah, I think it... I th 
I still reckon it is just like in terms of the aesthetics, in terms of the presentation of it, it is the most beautiful game. I know it was, you know, it didn't have the massive budgets of a Final Fantasy, but the art in it is just, oh, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> so um, I I was very surprised that they double dipping, giving it another shot, but very happy about that. Um, but yeah, Matt, you've been a bit quiet there. Um, tell me, in terms of JRPGs, where do you think things sit and what are your kind of thoughts about what we might see, you know, over the next E3 and beyond? I think we're going to see lots of dark, mature JRPGs for adults. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think pretty much the same as what everyone else has already said. I feel like they're in a really good place now as far as both the really big budget Final Fantasy stuff, um, but also the space for smaller, more experimental games to come out and start doing really interesting things with the genre. Um, and that's something I think and hope and think we're going to see a lot more of. Um, yeah, games like Blue Reflection that do interesting yeah. things and don't sell millions because they decided to do interesting things uh but still that's fine um yeah yeah it was the funny thing the funny thing with blue reflection was i mean i know it had all kinds of trouble it seems to have disappeared off the australian store for some reason i don't think you can even buy it here anymore um really? yeah i think it's, it's i think it's disappeared off the playstation network or whatever it got ended it, i don't think it ever actually came out in australia in the end it did on uh, Steam, but not the playstation version yeah, that, that would make sense because, yeah, it's uh, it, it was a really odd one. Um, I know it went from MA to R-rated. It got, you know, bumped up. And I think it probably deserved better for a couple of reasons. I think it would have sold better if people realised that it wasn't the thing that they were thinking of because you look at the screenshots and whatever of Blue Reflection and you see the school uniforms and you just assume it's going to be that kind of game. But in reality, it was very limited in terms of its kind of fan service elements at all. And they were certainly backgrounded. And it was this really kind of lovely persona-like uh, magical girl thing, which was very uplifting and very positive in tone. And I think a lot of people missed out on something they would have enjoyed just on perceptions. Perhaps perhaps the screenshots they picked were the wrong ones. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, maybe it'll get a second run. Um, I think the other thing we should mention is the, the JRPG genre, I think, has also... I think non-Japanese people are starting to get it because it used to be you know, every time somebody from outside of Japan tried to make a JRPG, it was always kind of this, this horrible pastiche that was of limited value beyond the fact it was, you know, we love the JRPG, so we made one, play it. But you look at stuff like um, Chris Tales, which comes out in July, and that is a JRPG that is being developed by a Colombian team and it is proudly Colombian. Like it, it is a very Colombian story about Colombian storytelling techniques. And we're going to get a very South American experience out of that. Uh, but it is using the JRPG framework for it. And then we've also seen the emergence of Chinese RPGs, which use a lot of the JRPG elements, but then, you know, implement Chinese culture into the storytelling and stuff. 
And I like to see that the JRPG mechanics, the structure of the genre, is now being used to tell stories from all around the world. I think that's a really neat thing, and I hope that continues to grow as well. Have we had an Australian one yet? We haven't, but I would love to see kind of a, um, you know, an Aboriginal RPG, you know, where they take the dreams time and like the end boss is a bunyip because the end boss would definitely be a bunyip. There would, there would be so much to explore with, with uh, an RPG with Aboriginal culture. It so would. much to explore. Yeah, it would absolutely. They've got the most vivid, you know, kind of storytelling traditions. And it's obviously one of the oldest storytelling traditions as well. They've got like 50,000 years of storytelling to to draw back on. So it would be amazing. You just got to get the the right team together to make it. Um, but yeah, I, I see that being a potential future for the JRPG because the structure does lend itself to storytelling ultimately. And now I think people are starting to realize that the stories that you can tell aren't just the Western friendly stories. You can tell stories from around the world and that's okay. Yeah, I I, th I think that like yeah, as far as the JRPG genre is concerned, I don't think we've ever been in a better spot. Like we've had periods, you know, where basically like every game coming out just felt like it was golden. But in terms of nowadays, how it seems like pretty much every major and even B tier JRPG is moving to simultaneous worldwide release, proper marketing in all markets. Like, that's really what's always held it back is that JRPGs, I guess, were seen as too niche in the West to care about that much. Like, we'll release them for that niche audience, but we're not going to care if it comes two years later. We're not going to put the marketing budget behind it. And it just seems like that's being reversed. And now even companies are doing their own localizations instead of just palming, like, 40 projects off to NAS America. So... Yeah, I think I think we've never been in like a better position in terms of where JRPGs are. It's so true. I mean, there was a time where Nipponichi was what they were localizing. They were the everything. Helios like, series. It was like the, uh, Neptunia, the Neptunia series. <laughs> they were they were certainly working hard back then. I mean, and they're still doing a lot. Um, but yeah, it's you know like uh, Idea Factory took their own localization. They've started doing their own localizations, and same with uh, Spike Chunsoft. And Sega's doing amazing with all their localizations. And so, yeah, I, I well, think we're uh, just in a better position. Yakuza is uh, going to be a worldwide release everywhere, so that that's that's pretty good. Instead of like <laughs> that's, getting that's... the Japanese one like one year, and then like two years later, we finally get the, out here. That's because it's been it's been quite famous that the Yakuza and Judgment series relies on the Western market uh, because they don't sell in Japan anymore, which is which is uh, yeah the end point of this, I guess. The the Yakuza series actually doesn't do so well in Japan anymore. Um, although I think the new one did because they went turn based, and I think that resonated. But yeah, that series has has become very um, yeah. It was very... definitely it was trailing off. Um, it was. It's become very reliant. Mm, it's become very reliant on the West, but we've also seen, you know, personas lifted up out of you know, obscurity to become a major, major property itself. And because of Persona, I'm, I would imagine a bunch of people probably played um, Shin Megami Tensei three, Nocturne, and realized very quickly that Persona is a different thing entirely. <laughs> I just, I, I have, I have this image in my head, right, of all these people. 
all these people that love Persona 5, right? This is their first Persona experience, and all of a sudden they've realized they love Atlas RPGs because they played Persona 5, and they're like, oh, there's this Shin Megami Tensei coming out on the Switch, I'm going to play that, and then they get up to Skeleton Matador. <laughs> then they get up to the Skeleton Matador, and that's it. <laughs> that's as far as they get, because that dude just brutalizes you. I love that guy. He's my favorite. I don't favorite know, I, I think his... the funniest thing would be, like, all those Persona 5 people saying, oh, I really like Atlas RPGs, and they go and pick up, like, Etrian Odyssey. <laughs> What the hell is this? Well, all they say that they like I have to draw games. my own map? And, and they buy they buy an, uh, a Persona 4 and realize that there's better games than Persona 5. No. Yeah. That, I, you're talking about Persona 5 fans here. Yeah, yeah that's exactly There is right. no other game. <laughs> yeah, I think it will also be the people who then, they like Persona 5, so they pick up Shin Megami Tensei and then start complaining about how it's a copy. Oh, I just copied Persona. Look at all these monsters. All the well, I kind of want to sidetrack the conversation back to something which I thought was interesting. A lot of the things we were saying earlier was like, you know, Yakuza and all that sort of stuff losing phase in the Japanese market. Uh, do we think that a lot of JRPGs are actually doing the same? Like they're being picked up by the Western audiences now. And with that, do you, what do you think the future is for actual stuff in Japan which sells to the Japan market? Well, I think, I mean, I, I, a couple of things. Firstly, the, the Japanese market is getting smaller in terms of console games, and that needs to be kind of acknowledged because it does affect how the Japanese developers need to approach what they're doing. But at the same time, I think one of the things is people are much more comfortable with Japanese culture for what it is these days than they perhaps used to be. I, I think Japan's done a good job in promoting itself as uh you know in, in through its anime through its uh through its it, its other cultural elements the the fact that it had the olympics even though they're not happening um exactly how the japanese would have wanted they the, there is that spotlight on japanese culture and they've, they've done a good job in promoting japan as japan and people are more comfortable i think with it they don't see it as that kind of exotic place where everything is is weird anymore so to anywhere they're near the same extent there is still a little bit of that but i think that because people are more comfortable with Japanese culture, the JRPG is more resonant on its own terms. People are able to connect with it better. Um, and I don't think that the developers necessarily feel the same pressure to try to westernize it uh, in saying that. We can go back to talking about Dragon Quest Twelve going dark and mature. But um, I think that the, the JRPG genre in part is, is in a good position because people are more comfortable playing JRPGs as JRPGs, not expecting them to be Western-friendly titles, as once was the case. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, you can see Nintendo going kind of all in with this JRPG stuff as they have over the last couple of years um, as, uh, as a major genre for them, where previously they, they weren't really that interested in it. I think that is because they realised that their audience, which is a global audience, is happy playing these things. And that's, that's good. So I don't think that the, the developers need to think about changing what they do. Uh, the only area where there is issues seems to be with the fan service side of things, uh, which is, doesn't apply to all JRPGs by any means, but there is a residual challenge there, I guess, for the developers that want to do that stuff, like um, Neptunia and whatever. But even then, they're, they're managing to get their games out there and find an audience for them. So. 
that's my thoughts anyway. <laughs> we have dead silence. Matt, say something. I was just thinking that seems like a, a good note to end the segment. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's been a very long segment. Okay, Captain Matt. <laughs> we'll end on that. We'll I'm the captain s- now. <laughs> we'll go to some music from... You know what? We're going to play... Oh, we talked about JRPG. We're going to play Good King Mog because Alan's not here to stop me. Alan's not here to stop me. It's Good King Mog. Why would Alan stop you from playing it? One of the best pieces of music ever written. It is. Good King Mog is just... I actually want to play Final Fantasy fourteen again, um, but I just know if I do, I'm just going to go back and play Good King Mog over and over and over again. That's that's all I'm going to do. Oh, we get Australian servers next year, Matt. It's, the, it's been the only thing holding me back. I'm going to be a recluse for like 12 months starting next year.
And welcome back, everybody. Okay, so since we spent so long talking about JRPGs in the last section and the previous section, we have Jay here. We're going to continue the um, we're going to t continue the JRPG loving. And for this final section, we're going to be quite brief. We're going to go around everybody here on the podcast, and we're just going to mention our top three JRPGs of all time. And this is completely off the top of our head. We haven't actually planned this session, so whatever my three games will be. Will probably change by the time I get off the call, <laughs> and I'll I'll have to go on Twitter to clarify that actually my favourite three JRPGs are completely different. But anyway, just off the top of our head, uh, let's start with Trent. I'm going to get be nasty. Trent's had the least time to think about this, so he's going to be right on the spot. Trent, oh shit, snowball fight. Snowball fight, yes, awesome. <laughs> guess what it's going to be? Damn well, it. Okay, tactics right, advance. Bam, done. All right, uh, the next two games are. I really like my uh, World Ends With You, so we're going to have that, and really excited for Neo, so that's going to be good. That's Yeah, that's the second one. And let's go with, for the third one, oh, Yakuza 0. Ooh, good choice. Those are very different games. <laughs> they are very different. you gotta be you got to be a bit concerned about Neo, though, right? Because Neo doesn't look like anything like the previous one. I'm interested in terms of I, I think there's like a weird team based like mechanic with how they're doing the games. I'm interested to see how they're gonna uh, work that out. That seems interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it certainly looks like an interesting game. It's just so different, so different. Hopefully, it works. Well, maybe it's gonna be more I don't know approachable because like you know the the original is pretty. I don't know, that that was very condensed and very, like, if this is a more, you know, wider scope and makes people interested in the series, maybe we'll see more games from it. Maybe there'll be more, you know, more, more 20 friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, certainly it's nice to see that they're actually still doing it. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. I guess um, we get some hands-on time with it soonish. Um so we'll let you know what we think of it. <laughs> um, Matt, what about you? Top you still... three JRPGs all time. You really put, put us on the spot here. Matt. I did. Um, I did. That's what I like to do. All right. All right. I'm going to say Wild Arms 3. Near Rip with Gent. And... Probably in the automata as well, but that's it's it's, it's got to <laughs> put something different. I think it would be a bit silly to put, to put those two. Um, Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, there you go. Ooh. According to science, the best Final Fantasy. It is. Yes, I think you and I might be the only two with our, our flags <laughs> perched on that hill there, Matt. I, I know. Yeah, that Atlas one is on flags perched when he said Final Fantasy VIII, right, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Final Fantasy VIII was was the real stuff. I love that game. <laughs> it, yeah, really I was did. so happy when they found some way to to save it and put it on my yeah. Switch. To hack the PC version. And... Yeah. It might not be the ideal version, but it's because they just bloody because they just trashed every piece of code from it because Square Enix just didn't care about anything back then. <laughs> but the, the, you know, it's still selfie. She still yeah. likes her trains. She and Irvin, Irvin are a good hot up those two i mean it's got a, a lot of the the usual final fantasy stuff but i love how 
kind of experimental and unorthodox it is in a lot of ways, especially for storytelling and um, yeah, the, the way it approaches the kind of concepts of heroism and identity in a very unique way that these are common themes in everyday RPG, but nothing's ever done it quite like Final Fantasy VIII before or since. Yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, that was the first time Square Enix kind of tried to challenge that idea of, you know, determinism and the, you know, every, everybody's just automatically, you know, the hero with their fate set in stone, because that has been such a tradition for Final Fantasy from one through to seven. It was everybody's doing the job of the crystals, you know, they're, they're all preset to be heroes from the moment they were born. It was all fate and destiny and all that kind of stuff. And the series before Final Fantasy VIII just took that for granted and or was quite you know, serious about it, uh, you know, uh, quite genuine about that kind of storyline. Final Fantasy VIII was the first one to, to challenge that. And I think that was why I was really drawn to it. It was a little bit... It was the first time Square Enix really tried something subversive with Final Fantasy and, uh, yeah... It was it was good. It made everyone hate it, but I loved it. Yeah, it did. It made everyone hate it, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was it was good because you know the thing is, uh, anytime you subvert things, you end up pissing a whole lot of people off who actually enjoyed what the thing was that you were subverting. So, um, yeah. I feel like the reputation of that game is getting a lot better, though, especially now that the internet exists and there's people who can explain how leveling works. It's a much more accessible game now than it was when it first came out. Yeah, and the fact that with the uh, with the remake or the remaster, whatever they called it, you can speed up the combat system so you can draw oh, stuff was, real fast now. <laughs> I was so uh, I mean that was like the savior of the game for me was yeah, yeah, the remaster yeah. being able to speed it up like eight times. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, that's it. You you can draw up to like your hundred within you know a couple of seconds now, which was which was all that that game's combat system ever needed to be fixed. The summons are great too. To this day, I love the summons. Animation. Oh yeah, the summons are probably like the best ones. Like, the like I still ones think the best. No, Shiva was good, but I like Diablos, where he gets, you know, he sticks his hand in the big black, you know, the black hole, and then just hurls it down, and everything like explodes. It's great. It was, yeah. it was my thing. It was, it was good. <laughs> um, Harvard, you, if you go, pick three. One, two, three. Okay, so I have three very different games. I'm going to be basic and say Persona 4. It's a very well-made game, and I feel like no one's going to disagree with that one. Now, the original Golden? Golden, Golden. <laughs> golden was objectively superior, Trent. I don't know, maybe there's like some sort of weird, you know, no, you know, the no. original is no. like, you know, no, no, this is one... <laughs> perfect. And... <laughs> this, is one fair, of those, this is one I of those rare occasions where everyone doesn't think the original was better. <laughs> I'm not huge on the, the Marie character, but no, Golden was better. And second one, I'm going to go a bit old school and say if you can tape together the two GBA Golden Sun games, that was a very good JRPG. And I'm sad that they never revisited that kind of style. Well, they did with the, the, the DS one, which was... Terrible. Yeah, but that was bad. Uh... <laughs> See, I thought the DS one was acceptable because I hated the second one because I just got lost in the second one. I feel that there was a lot... Like, the second one was good if, in the sense that it would have felt good as like a second half to the first it was, one, if that yeah. makes sense. As a separate game, it just feels like there's nothing to ground it or make it seem, ex, you know, approachable. So that's why I like the DS one a bit better because it seemed like a, oh, well, no one's played Golden Sun for like years. You know, here's a brand new introduction to the series and that, you know, made it seem like a 
separate game, whereas yeah, the yeah. one just seemed. I mean, like... the one the one thing that let me down with Golden Sun was the fact there were puzzles in dungeons with random encounters, and that gives me some mad anxiety because I just want to solve the goddamn puzzle, and I then there's these enemies really jumping me constantly. No, I that really was... enjoy the dynamic of it. I think that the fact that they had actually challenging puzzles that fed into the way that you build your characters. So, like, you might want to build your character in a certain way that you can solve puzzles, but it makes them less effective in combat. Like, ah, oh, it's such a good idea. You need to come back to it. Ah, oh, it's so good. I mean, I, I like the puzzles, but if we could have the puzzles without the enemies jumping you along the way, that was what bugged me, like, badly. See, I like the original really for that. I, I much preferred Final to Fantasy. Break it up. I much preferred Final Fantasy X's approach where it had puzzles. They weren't very good puzzles, so that was a different story. But it had puzzles, but the dungeons where the puzzles were, there weren't enemies jumping you. That was good. I preferred that. So I don't like that as much because that's very modal, right? It's like, okay, now I'm solving some puzzles, and then now I'm fighting some enemies. Yes, but I'm not fighting puzzles when I'm trying to... (laughs) (laughs) I'm not fighting enemies when I'm trying to solve the goddamn puzzle. Nothing (laughs) nothing annoys me more than having my concentration on a puzzle broken by some stupid little rat thing. Stabbing me. Yeah, if we don't disagree on this game, we don't agree <laughs> on this game, and we're also not going to agree on the next one because the next one's Kingdom Hearts, and I, like I have a lot of sentimental like for that series, so I've stuck with it through all the stupid story stuff that it would do, and I still kind of think the story is good, but no, it's just a nice comfort game, lots of stuff to do, lots of places to go, enjoyable. All I wanted was Final Fantasy where I could be Donald Duck. I mean, that's all they had to give me. Why did they have to go and turn it into this? Whatever <laughs> the hell Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 are fine, I found. I found they were both yeah. pretty good. Yeah, the, after that, I bounced pretty hard on the series. Um, but yeah, yeah I just no, wanted Donald who, Duck. Who's playing Fantasy. 800 different spin-offs? No yeah, including the rhythm game. You've got to play the rhythm game for the story bits now because it introduces new story elements, which oh, are going to be yeah. critical for whatever comes next. It's, it's just... Well, what about that mobile game? We're going to have to I catch know. up on three years of mobile game updates. It's just, it's just whoever managed that series just needs to, needs to pull their heads in. Um, moving on. Uh, Jay, you get to pick your three now. Um, Tales of Exilia, because it's the best cast... Of characters ever. Is that the one with Moogaloo? No, that's Berseria. Oh, that's Berseria. Moogaloo, I like Moogaloo. Tales of Exilia is one. Like, I love love every single character in that game. Every single good guy, every single bad guy, every single anti-hero. It's so good. That's basically, like, I don't think it's the perfect JRPG, or it's, like, the best the genre has to offer, but it's my favorite game just purely because I love every single character and all the interactions and everything about it. And then number two is Xenoblade Chronicles X, because I think it's the best open-world RPG ever made. Nothing before or since has given you, like, that much freedom and just that beautiful a world to explore that was as fun to explore as that one. You should play Death Stranding. (laughs) It's the same game. (laughs) Hey... You can't fly in Death Stranding. You have to run and not trip over. You can get cars and bikes and stuff and have other you people build the roads. You through. can't get That's in a cool. mech and fly around, Matt. That's what you think. <laughs> you just haven't found it yet. Kojima's put it in there somewhere. Yeah, probably. We got like a jump jet from Metal Gear Solid 5 or something. 
And uh, Final Fantasy IX is my other pick, which I think is, like, if somebody was going to say what's the best JRPG, I would say Final Fantasy IX. Interesting. I just think that's, like, the best all-round story characters. The, like, the way it tells a story. The, I think the art style, even. I love that. I love, like, the sort of, you know, the half-chibi look that's not really half-chibi. It's, like, what you think Pokemon would have looked like before they made them all really tall and long when they moved to HD. <laughs> Need them all tall and long. <laughs> well, haven't you? It's so weird. Did you did you guys play Little Town Hero? Yeah. 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 When I saw Little Town Hero, I was like, this looks exactly what I thought Pokemon Red was going to look like in HD. And then I look at Pokemon, I'm like, I don't know what this looks like. But it doesn't look like Pokemon. So yeah, I think Final Fantasy IX is just, I think that that's my three. Tales of Exilia, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and Final Fantasy IX. Cool. With like, you know, a list of 40 honorable mentions. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. what, While you've all been talking, I've been trying to sift through my honorable mentions <laughs> to get to three. That's why I've left me for last. But okay, so I'm going to say Blue Reflection is definitely one for me, because as I mentioned earlier, I think it is the most beautiful game like for me i'm always a guy that's all about uh, kind of aesthetics over technical brilliance and if i can see the aesthetics if i can see the idea behind it i can mentally fill in the gaps it's like reading a book and uh, i can set a nice image uh, I, I can visualize what they were aiming for and melkishida's art in blue reflection set the scene beautifully and i was able to get right into that the game and i think it's just it, it's beautiful both in terms of its art and also its storytelling just so it's so wholesome <laughs> for a game that has a reputation of being fan service and wet t-shirts. Um, it's just such a, a beautifully charming, innocent, wholesome game. Um, secondly, I'll echo Matt and say Nier. Um, I'm surprised Matt said Nier over Nier Automata. I thought you were still more of an Automata man, Matt, given that uh, that was your introduction to the, introduction to the series. Um, it's, to be honest, it's probably whichever one I've played more recently. Which is the most <laughs> isn't it? That's, that's, I yeah, love, I mean, I, I'm, I love I'm them both probably equally. I mean, I'm a, I'm a passionate fan of uh, Nier, but uh, yeah, Automata is excellent as well. But yeah, Nier, Nier is a special, special game to me. It's one Automata of the. doesn't have Kaine. That's right. <laughs> um, although I must say, I prefer Daddy Nier to Brother Nier. Um, Daddy Nier was champ. Brother Nier's a bit of a dude. The only time that a cynical marketing change to appeal to a Western audience has actually worked. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, that that was the right move. And he was so ugly. That's the thing. <laughs> like, he was such an ugly dude, and that made him just that much more relatable and, you know, kind of um, uh, uh, compelling as a character. You don't get that many kind of ugly dads. Even the God of War dude, he's kind of, you know, attractive to a certain type of person. Um, I've got to come up with a third one, don't I? Shit. Um, what did I go with? Uh, near Blue Reflection, and I am going to go with Final Fantasy VI. That's my other one, I think. 
because that game was pretty formative for me. Like Final Fantasy VI was when I was still getting into the JRPG genre and I would play that game on repeat over and over and over again. Um, the opera scene in particular is my favorite scene, I think, in any JRPG ever. And I cannot wait for Square Enix to do their Project Octopath HD kind of remaster of Final Fantasy VI just to see how that opera scene is going to turn out because, yeah, Final Fantasy VI. Good choice. So on that, we'll uh, we'll give it all a wrap. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Do let us know your thoughts on what your favorite JRPGs are if you're tuning in. You can always get us all on social medias. We're around. Um, send us emails if you want, I guess. But, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll all see you next month. Have a great month. Enjoy E3, everybody. Hopefully we all get all the announcements that we want because... We could uh, we could all use a good E3 this year, I think. Uh, thanks very much for being on, in particular, Jay. It was great to have you here. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking about JRPGs again soon enough. No problem. Thanks for having oh, me. Oh, you need to pick some music to finish on. Um, we'll, we'll go with we'll go with near music. We'll go with um, song... No, let's go with the industrial one. What the heck is the name of that song? Is it the just one that... Factory? Factory. Yeah, the Factory song. The, the, Factory the song that, number five, maybe. I think it's like it's something really basic. The track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that song. It's it's got it's a really good beat. That one. I love that song. So we'll go with that one. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time.
Thank you.